offer. I think often teachers are not seen as professionals in the same way that other professional fields are in the outside world. And it's a message that I've really stressed to my faculty. This is part of our professional growth. And just like doctors and lawyers are constantly upping their practice, so are we. Welcome to another podcast of Prisma Center for Jewish Day Schools. My name is Elliot Rabin, and I am Prisma's Director of Thought Leadership. This podcast is part of a series called Research Encounter, featuring a conversation between researchers and day school leaders about a recent work of scholarship. Today, we will be exploring the vision, goals, and practices of professional development in Jewish day schools. For this conversation, we are delighted to welcome back Dr. Ariel Levitas, Managing Director of CASG, the Collaborative for Applied Studies in Jewish Education at George Washington University. She is joined by four outstanding administrators responsible for professional development in their schools. Tammy Anagnostis and Flora Matliach at Goldaak Academy, a pre-K through 12 school in West Orange, New Jersey. Rabbi Maccabee Abishur of Hechal HaTorah, a high school for boys in Teaneck, New Jersey. And Suzanne Mishkin at the Sager Solomon Schechter Day School, a K-8 school in Northbrook, Illinois. Welcome, everybody. Ariel. Why don't you get started and tell us something about the findings on professional development in the major recent casualty study, Career Trajectories of Jewish Educators. Sure. Thanks so much for having me today. I'm delighted to be in uh, this with this esteemed group of uh, practitioner leaders. Um, so this summer, CASG began publishing a series of research reports and briefs sharing findings from our career trajectory study. So the CASG career trajectory study is a larger scale, multi-strand program of research that looks at the career arc of Jewish educators across many sectors and settings with an eye toward providing research-based evidence that can fuel improvements in the recruitment, retention, and development of educators. Today, we're focusing on one brief related to professional development, but if I may encourage listeners to visit the CASD website to access more on the study findings. Uh, Okay, so the, the, the findings we're discussing today are based on survey data from over 1,200 Jewish educators working in the field Uh, for between six and 30 years, who were recruited from eight communities. Uh, And of these survey respondents, about 40% worked in Jewish day schools. Now, we know from general education research that teacher quality is the number one most important school-based determinant of student outcomes. So when we think about Jewish day schools being great places to learn, we have to think about Jewish day schools as being great institutions that support teacher learning. What we found in our study is that generally, widely speaking, in the field of Jewish education, a little more than half of the Jewish educators who participated in the survey reported having um, access to sufficient opportunities to professional development. Um, About 54% of those who teach in day school said they had sufficient access. 
Uh, and when Jewish educators are able to access professional development, the dominant form that they're offered is what we call the one-shot workshop, which are generally one-off presentations, often featuring an external expert that have not been shown to really move the needle in terms of improving the quality of teaching and learning. Uh, and about half specifically of day school teachers survey, surveyed said they got fewer than eight hours of professional, professional development a year. Research in general education suggests that high quality teaching isn't just about finding that special, talented, superstar individual teacher. It's about creating institutions that support teacher professional learning and improvements through a teacher's career. Great teachers are found in great working environments and high quality professional learning for teachers contributes to improved educational outcomes for students. So what the CASGI study shows is that no, not only is access to PD hard to come by for many educators, but that the PD they are often offered is not aligned with what a growing body of evidence from research in general education tells us makes up facets of high quality, effective professional learning for teachers. Evidence-based high quality professional learning for teachers looks very different from that one-shot workshop. It's a, it's a, it's a completely different paradigm uh, for professional development, right? It's one in which professional learning is workplace embedded, ongoing, teacher-led, collaborative, grounded in artifacts of practice, real questions about teaching and learning that teachers have. And it's about teacher learning being built into the very fabric of the day-to-day of the school, whether that's observation, mentorship, professional learning communities. These are all forms it might take, but it's not episodic and it's not covered in one afternoon. So rather when we think about um, high quality teaching, focusing on the talents of any one individual teacher, a growing body of research evidence asks us to consider how the institution itself is organized so that teachers have the time and space to engage together in learning that responds directly to their uh, ongoing questions about practice. Thank you, Ariel. I think that much of what you're saying really resonates from what we've all observed in the field. And I'm seeing other people nodding their heads as well. So I'd like to to ask people in the schools, what resonated with you from the report, from what Ariel is talking about? What uh, surprises did you find? So everything Ariel said, it resonates, I think, with this whole group. It, it is no surprise to us that the one-shot workshop does not work. And I'd be surprised if anyone here thinks that's the path to helping our teachers get better at what they do. Um, what I'm curious to hear from this group though, is yeah, how do you make time for the stuff that really works? There were definitely pieces that it's like, yes, that makes sense, both from my experience as administrator, but also as a teacher. Um, being a, I was a teacher for more than 10 years and that experience of you go to these professional developments and you're like, okay, and now what? 
right? It's nothing I can bring back to the classroom. It's not changing my day to day. Um, I think something that was surprising to me was when you said that fewer than eight hours of professional development a year was the response to how, how that the majority of people said they, the amount of time that was spent. So that is very surprising to me just because I think everyone on this call would agree. I think we need to make our people better and we need to grow our professionals. And if we're not doing that, then how can we expect our school to grow? So that was a big surprise. I think one of the pieces for us at Gold Oak Academy, we're, we're fortunate. The Federation of Greater Metro West of New Jersey really started this idea 11 years ago about the quest for teaching excellence. And that's where we ended up starting in this path at Gold Oak Academy. And I think the piece that you said is that over time, we have really built a culture that it is not all driven by us as the deans of faculty, but it's also very much driven by teachers who know that the investment has been made in them. And they're also looking for their own professional development opportunities in conjunction with us. So that partnership is a big piece in, I think, what's very exciting for them. And I honestly think one of the biggest pieces, I am sure we all feel the same, is about them feeling valued at our school and that we are all looking to help them with their success. We, um, we spend so much time um, talking to each other, talking to teachers, um, talking to administration and figuring out what are the directions in which we want to go? What does each individual teacher need? What does um, the staff as a whole need? What does the board feel we need in terms of a, stra- a strategic plan? We've talked about that. And the, and the quest for teaching excellence from Greater Metro West was, I, I think the school actually already had started to um, to be a place where there was um, room for growth, but I think the actual um, emphasis on PD became just grew so much after we joined um, the Metro West program. Um, and now teachers just they expect it. I think that was one of the things ha- being spoiled here that surprised me is that so little is available elsewhere. Um, because we have to monitor ourselves how much we're going to offer because we don't want to overwhelm teachers. Before we get into teasing out how each of your schools thinks about and uh, operationalize professional development, I want to start on on a personal note and ask you, you know, did you yourselves, I think all of you have been teachers at various times, and may still be uh, in the classroom, some of you. Did you yourselves ever have a transformative professional development experience? And if so, can you, can you put your finger on what made it powerful for you? Um, I'll jump in first and say Flora and I were both lucky enough to be part of the Mandel Teacher Educator Institute. We were in cohort eight. And it's a two-year program, and we met together um, about every four to five months, and it was a transformational professional development experience. And it hit on a lot of the pieces that Ariel talked about that make up good, quality, high-quality um, professional development. It was ongoing. It wasn't a one and done. We were meeting, we were practicing the ideas that we then took back to our schools. So we would workshop something at MTEI um, during the sessions, and then we would take them back to our school. We would see how they worked in practice. 
the Mandel Teacher Education Institute, um, for those people who don't know, is all about professional development for the people who give PD. So it's for the teachers of teachers. And it's based in Jewish tech study. So it's very powerful. It's a group of people that come from very diverse backgrounds and work in diverse places, similar to the study that Ariel has mentioned in terms of it's not just day schools, but there were supplementary schools, um, supportive organizations to Jewish day school. And it was a place where we were really able to almost like a, a lab, you know, we were able to think about something, learn about it, get the reasons behind, get the best practice and research, take it back to our schools and try something. And we've, I know at our school, I can't speak for Flora's school, but we have really done some transformation of our professional development, both in terms of really moving it more to relational learning communities, having our faculty look at student work in very specific ways, shifting to student thinking and learning, and thinking also just about how do we learn together. We've done more learning together as a faculty where we do tech study now, um, having our teachers experience being a learner, because I think it's very hard to remember what it's like to be a learner when you're the teacher sometimes. And it's a very different experience. So I, for me, that was an excellent experience, and I would recommend it to anyone. Um. And so I, that's always my number one transformational PD experience as well. I, I think that there are a couple of things that I took back. I find myself talking about how we talk matters about uh, um, so many other MTEI principles and thinking about language and, um, and also um, how do we just making thinking visible and all the the things that we learned there um, in my work with um, with faculty, I I think another thing is that the, so there is faculty we work together, but with the faculty and the faculty there are they modeled everything they taught in a way that they um, they really they modeled everything. And it was really a way to say, yes, you can really do this. You have to practice and it's hard and it takes a lot, but you can do it. it that, was, that was a wonderful experience. I would say I had two, two that came to mind. And I think it's helpful to think that we're also educators looking to enhance what we're doing in order to help support our own teachers. I would say one is work that we've done as a school and also for the deans, Flora and myself and other colleagues of ours who are also deans in Metro West, um, working with the Jewish New Teacher Project and really looking at how we were, uh, for me, my focus was on observations of teachers, both formally and informally, and being coached by JNTP on how to better coach our teachers was a big transformation for me because when you go in to observe a teacher and there's only a number of times that you're in there formally, you wanna make the impact of what you're seeing um, applicable for the rest of the year and informal observations which are happening continuously on um, the feedback so that there's a there's a flow of information from one to the next and that teachers are really able to use that in their teaching practice to improve themselves. Um, so I think that was that was a, a great one. And we also have teachers who have gone through that program in terms of mentors. So it's just a program that's really um, worked so well for our school, both at the lower school and the upper school, um, in terms of a practice and a model that we really believe in. And I'd say the other one, I, part of my responsibility at Gold Hawk is overseeing the language arts program. And I would say that 
Um, just looking into bringing in a new writing program years ago through Teachers College Reading and Writing Project. I was able to attend for a very intensive week in administrators track at the same time that I was getting some of my teachers to go to the educators track and to be able to simultaneously learn one to see the big picture of how we can roll this out for kindergarten through fifth grade and also then look at the bigger pictures of what's the vision going forward and how can we pilot this in certain grades with certain teacher leaders um, was a really great step in looking at PD um, across the across the school. So those are the two that really stood out for me. And if I can, I'll, I'll share a, a virtually transformative non-experience to maybe serve as a counterpart to these, which I think also has relevance to the CASG study in general. My first year of teaching, I had come, like many people do, from outside of the education sphere. I had been a youth advisor. I had taught classes in camp. I was a more in camp. had done all of those things, which might have told the principal who hired me, this guy is going to be great with kids. Now, newsflash, I was a huge failure as a seventh grade Rebbe, um, but I never got anyone to come into my class to observe me until second semester, the principal came in unannounced on a day where I was trying something pretty risky with the kids. Um, he came in, he observed me for 15 minutes, and he called me out of the room in the middle of class, and he said, you have to undo exactly what you just did which of course I did because I was a good boy. I did, undid everything I just did. And I went into him a week later and said, I think this isn't for me. This career is not for me. And I almost left teaching. Uh, fast forward to a few years later where I was fortunate to be in a different school in a different position. Um, and I was invited to be a part of the Standards and Benchmarks Project. Um, and one experience I had there, which I think is relevant to all the kinds of PD that are really powerful and impactful, is that I had to practice having a feedback conversation with a fictitious character who was being played by one of my, my friends now, who I did not know at the time, um, in front of other people in a fishbowl. And then they gave me feedback on what I had done. Because in my mind, I was doing a great job, but thinking at the same time, wow, this is not going how I thought it would go. So they gave me feedback and I was able to replay the scene again in front of them and correct anything that I had done wrong that led to the outcome that had resulted. So that kind of in real time feedback um, was really helpful to me to practice the things in a safe environment before I had to actually do them in, in my real work was transformative for me in the opposite direction. And, and just to follow up, did you take that practice ever and put it in, your, in the schools that you've worked in? Yes, uh, I, I use a lot of role play in Fishbowl now um, in my work. Um, especially as I'm coaching leaders, but, uh, but even with teachers who have to have conversations with parents or students. So I, I think you've, you've hit on so many great points, all of you. A couple of things that jumped out for me, one was that PD uh, development isn't just for teachers, right? It's really, no matter what, what you do in schools, it's it's really vitally important, and as as administrators, you know, uh, as t as leaders uh, and organizers of teachers, you know, PD has really been transformative for for you as well, and also um, that professional development is itself is always changing, and that keeping up it's keeping up with different needs, different trends, different ideas in the field. Um, and that's something we really saw also in the report 
uh, Aria, uh, that Ariel was mentioning, that the, the report talks about how 20 years ago, professional development was not so much on the radar of schools in the way that it is today. So, so professional development is something always, always changing and rein, being reinvented. I'm wondering, maybe we can jump into the question of how PD today is different from it, the way it was a few years ago or when you started out. Could I just jump in because I also have taught in Jewish day schools. I, my first job out of college, actually, I was a maternity leave um, replacement. And I, so I came in, um, you know, having no pre-service background, uh, having, you know, being a day school alum myself. So that apprentice, apprenticeship of observation, but I had no supervision, no mentorship, you know, some one shot workshop opportunities um, and, and that was over probably, I think I was four years in the classroom before I went back for now, again, this was decades ago. Um, so it's very, um, it's gratifying to hear about um, changes and, you know, the the experiences people have had with some of, I think, the most sophisticated and well-developed and research-based opportunities for professional learning Um but I wonder how much my experience of like 20 years ago is actually more aligned with what a lot of people are finding today in, in their own, you know, first foray into teaching. Certainly hope, I hope not. And as someone who sees, you know, is in touch with a lot of schools, I think at least schools aspire to do better. Uh, it may not always be so possible, but I think schools recognize that that is no longer okay. What are some of the the ways that that professional development today is 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 different? Uh Suzanne mentioned uh mentioned some of the the trends that she's seeing today. Anyone else want to want to take that on? I think we've seen just a greater number of opportunities available to teachers and I I think we we take it upon ourselves in this role to filter some of that and then try to provide a way in which teachers see that it's accessible. It's overwhelming as a teacher when you're already teaching and working very hard on your on your work with your students to actually also look and find those opportunities. So I think there are just so many more opportunities out there. I mean, we've seen it since this position has been in place for 11 years. Um, and it's through different organizations that continue to evolve. I think one of the pieces that happens is that when you start to see what organizations speak to teachers, those are the ones that you know you can always send out and try to um, involve your teachers in participating. And then others take a little bit of a trial and error that if you find the right consultant, that could be a consultant that doesn't just come in once, but works multiple times throughout a year um, with your students both and teachers, both on the lower school campus, for example, and also on the upper school campus. And I just, I just think that the opportunities that exist now, we are able to think in this multi-layer approach in ways that we didn't even 11 years ago. And I think that presents a really wonderful opportunity. I'll also say that that's coupled with the fact that we have teachers who have individual professional development plans. And that means that we're sitting with teachers to help them develop goals that really resonate with them and goals that we also feel they need to work on to improve their practice. And everything then we're doing is looking for targeting for targeted 
professional development for individuals, as well as these larger initiatives that we know speak to educators today. So I agree with everything Tammy said, and I wanted to add a point to that. I, I got started in the 90s, right? So there was plenty of PD available outside of the Jewish day school field if someone knew how to find it. Um, what I think is true today is that the Jewish day school field has found what is great about PD um, outside of the Jewish day school field and customized it for, for Jewish day school consumption. And I'm really, really happy about that. Um, additionally, with the advent of the internet, right? All of, our, all of our professionals in our schools have access to things we never had access to 25 years ago. Um, if, if they have a question about how to do something or how to teach something or, or a curriculum or anything like that, it's all there for them on the web at some amazing sites and they have great people they can watch. They can watch videos of people teaching and that has really opened up a new world. Something I'll just add that since the pandemic, there's no question that we've had access to so much PD that what's been wonderful while we try to strike the balance of not overwhelming teachers, but also supporting them is to be able to provide an opportunity and have them view it on their own time is def definitely something that has resonated with teachers. And I think there's just so much more in terms of us being able to think creatively of this does not work in with a teacher's schedule per se, but that doesn't mean that you can't find another hour where you can watch something that speaks to your trade and then the whole technology component of what teachers are now able to do after having to quickly turn to technology over the last year and a half. Uh, that's that's completely changed everything they're doing in terms of their practice and also professional development. I just wanted to say in terms of a shift, um, I agree with what both Tammy and Maccabee said in terms of, you know, especially the idea that there's more for specifically for Jewish day school. I've been in this administrative role. This is my eighth year in the role and I can tell it a shift has happened because there's more things coming my way through, you know, doing different organ Jewish organizations than there was when I first started. One of the shifts we have done here is really think about what we can do in-house and actually really backing away from um, outside people. We do use outside people still when appropriate and where appropriate, because there are definitely things we can absolutely learn. We're doing a two-year study actually right now with um, a rabbi from South Carolina who's an expert in anti-racist education with our faculty and it's really going well but we're really working to actually embed it in what we're doing so he's not just coming and speaking and leaving but he's meeting with the administrative team and then he's also meeting with individual teams after the sessions to really continue the conversation but aside from the people, the outside people, we have amazing teachers doing wonderful things every day. And one of the things we've tried to do is really think about how can we get our people to see other people in the building and do learning before the pandemic was one of the last things we did hit. This was in February of 2020. We actually did a whole round of rounds where we got every single person in the building to participate, but we actually chose a problem of practice to look at as a faculty ahead of time. And we created a data sheet. And then we were able to have a reflective conversation after using the data sheets that they had brought around this problem of practice. And one of the things our teachers are seeing is there's so much to learn from your colleagues. So as an administrator, my role is also to support how can I make sure teachers can see other people teaching? Because guess what? They're usually teaching. 
So they can't go into other classrooms. So we have worked to say, especially our new teachers, we have a fabulous mentoring program and it's had, it's been around for a very long time. And it's, we've used, we were using the new teacher project as resources before the Jewish new teacher project ever hit, but we've been using a lot of those resources. We've trained lots of people and we work really hard. One of the things new teachers have to do in our building is they have to go observe other teachers multiple times a year. And we actually find the best is when they go with their mentor and they do the observation together and then they can talk about it. And so I think a lot of schools are shifting to that model of what is the knowledge base and expertise inside the building? Because not only does it save money, which we all like, but it also, I think, raises the bar. I think often teachers are not seen as professionals in the same way that other professional fields are in the outside world. And it's a message that I've really stressed to my faculty is that this is part of our professional growth. And just like doctors and lawyers are constantly upping their practice, so are we. And so I think it's been a really good shift for our people because it's allowed teachers to take leadership roles internally and allowed us to really pinpoint what are you an expert in and how can you share? I think that's a great, go ahead, Florence. Yeah, so no, just the last thing um, is that um, Tammy and I really try to pay attention and pick out um, a teacher leaders to uh, lead a team, a a group, a, a, you know, any, um, a grade level, anything that will strengthen that person and sort of show more of an investment also in that person, but be good for the team um, because it's one of them who's, who's leading it and not one of us. Um, So that's one thing. And, um, and as actually in the same area that Suzanne just mentioned, the um, uh, we had we just had at the upper school last week um, DEIJ lessons. And we had a we picked a period um, diversity, equity, inclusion, justice, right? Um, lessons um, throughout the upper school, uh, and students signed up for various topics, and teachers worked in teams to prepare. Uh, lessons and um, they always I've noticed that always whenever there's a, a, um, the opportunity to work in groups and I will say even especially to with people who are not in their departments in the upper school we deal a lot with um, we work a lot in departments and disciplines and um, they really enjoy the opportunity to work with people outside their departments and just there's so much to learn from each other. So can I ask Susanna a question? Because so, what you said is so amazing to me. It reminds me, last week, a colleague in the field reached out to me and said, do you know anyone who can give a great workshop on differentiation? So I, I thought exactly what you all thought, which is like, yeah, you, <laughs> you could do it yourself. She's a progressive educator. She works in a progressive school. And so I just asked her, what about some of your amazing teachers, your master teachers? Could they do it? And she said back to me, well, I don't think that we have a culture yet where people are going to perceive their colleagues as being the experts. Suzanne, how do you, how do you answer that question or deal with changing that culture? I think it's a great question. I think teachers are, it's less so today than when I was teaching, but we're really used to being in a silo right? Like I'm going to go in my room, I'm going to do my thing and I'm going to close the door. And my room is my kingdom. And 
one of the things that we did um, a few years ago, I was very jazzed, really excited. I got to see Jim Knight speak. He is what I call one of my professional crushes. And um, he is a guru of instructional coaching. He's out of the University of Kansas. And if you're not following him, I highly recommend following him on whatever platforms you go on because he always puts out really great stuff. Um, and he has a whole instructional coaching institute. And I really wanted to do it. And I was like, let's do instructional coaching. And we did not have the money to, or the, at the time. So what we actually did instead, and this actually, I think, helped create the culture of teachers going into other rooms and seeing other people and being the expert is I actually created a peer coaching cohort and it was voluntary. And so for the first year, we had about 10 to 12 teachers who once a month we got together, we didn't actually go into each other's rooms until the second semester. The first semester, we spent time talking about observation without judgment. We talked about what coaching is versus um, a supervisor, because that's actually a very different role. Um, and then the second semester, they actually, they, so again, thinking about resources, they couldn't go into each other's rooms. So they actually videotaped themselves. And so we talked a lot about the power of video. And then they would actually spend the time in the that once a month watching each other's videos and then giving each other feedback and talking. But it was based on what a goal they wanted to work on. So we actually then Speaking of fishbowls, um, we actually highlighted to our fac, our full faculty, we did a fishbowl where they actually went through a session. And so our faculty got to see the power of having a peer coach. That peer coaching cohort went through a few different iterations. Um, it turned into a video club. We worked with a professor from Northwestern at one point. Um, we did some choice and then it actually got to rounds because we all talked about how powerful it was to be in each other's rooms. And at that point, um, we actually did a whole PD on observation without judgment um, and practicing the skill. Um, so I think it was the finding your first followers, I think, is really important for something like that. And who are the people who are, you know, seasoned enough and are going to be excited? So the first year, an example of this is I didn't have any Judaic studies teachers who um, wanted to participate. The next year, I actually reached out to three personally and said, I would love for you to be part of our group. I understand it's voluntary. You're not being paid. You know, I was trying to be very upfront and I got a, a group of um, Judaic studies teachers to come. And that I think was really important. So I think it was starting with our first followers, building up this idea. And at the same time, we were doing things like building relational learning communities um, for uh, like student work protocol. So it was, you know, multiple things at once, but your first followers are so important because they then went out and talked about how much they were enjoying and learning um, as a professional. Super. I think this really gets to something that Ariel uh, can talk about in the report that um, professional development really accomplishes so much for the people for the people who who undergo it. Um, it is critical for the professionalization, the feeling uh, of teachers and and anyone else of being a professional of learning and growing. Just as in other fields, people have to undergo professional development, uh, keep up keep up with trends. So Ariel, could you briefly tell us, you know, what, what the research says about what professional development done well can accomplish? And then I, I want to throw the floor open and ask, you know, what you've seen 
in your faculty from your professional development? Yeah, thanks. That's a great question. And again, it's just, it's really exciting and inspiring to hear about all these like best practices at work and, and um, that you guys are sharing uh, your knowledge with the field. It's just great. Um, so in terms of, you know, what, you know, I, I often sort of frame the value of professional learning as, you know, what it contributes to student outcomes, because I'm often sort of speaking to audiences for whom the value of professional learning is not self-evident um, or don't value that, you know, in and of itself. But, you know, sort of like the, 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 the logic, right, of how of that chain between high quality professional learning for the educators and then improvements in student outcomes is, is related statistically to um, retention in the field, the educator sense of satisfaction and self-efficacy. And those are tied to a lot of things that happen in the workplace that a lot of you are touching on in your own accounts of the work that you're doing in your schools. And that's one of the challenges in having separated things out into briefs around one topic that sometimes we can sort of like lose that connective thread. So we have a brief about professional learning and then one about workplace conditions you know, that talks about things like collaboration with colleagues, even as those two things are deeply embedded. Um, and then we have another uh, brief that really talks about, you know, the, the paths that teachers take. And um, part of that, part of what we learned is about sometimes there's dissatisfaction with career ladders. And a lot of, um, a lot of you are talking about the role of teacher leaders in your school communities to improve um, teaching and learning. And what one thing that we found is kind of this whole concept of teacher leaders is rather underdeveloped in Jewish education as a field. You don't necessarily see a lot of examples of institutions that have um, that built in to their, their workplace. And that is um, a great opportunity, as you guys are noting, to really harness the expertise of talented teachers to help them see how um, what they know and know how to do contributes beyond, you know, their own classroom. It can be tied towards different titles, um, you know, compensation increases, things like that. And I think it really gives teachers a sense of, um, of their own development, their own professional development, and, and is proof to them, like you see it in your teachers, right, is proof to them of, of how they're growing and how through their own expertise, they can really lift the institution and the quality of instruction um, across, across the whole school. So I was the first one in our in the school really to be trained as a mentor uh, at JNTV. And, um, and that was like, I think 16 years ago. Um, I was in there, I think second cohort. And, um, and, and that was also at the time for me, a transformative experience, um, both uh, as a teacher and then as a mentor, I've continued to find it that. Um, and, um, and we have since trained quite a number of faculty um, to be mentors. And we have found that that it leads to many of the, um, of the outcomes that Ariel talks about in terms of 
uh, these teachers feeling that the investment in them, that they're valued, um, that they are learning, that they have something to contribute. And it's also led to better um, retention for our new faculty that we hire um, because they have a personal coach. They have um, a safe place to go with questions and we've used the resources and the approaches that um, we learned at JNTP and that they continue to keep developing. Um, so that, so I think that has been a, a wonderful opportunity for us, for the faculty and for the, um, for the level of, of instruction in the school. Ironically, I had an example of exactly what you just asked this week where we spent a lot of time from the spring through the summer and continuing this year across the school on our strategic plan in terms of meeting the needs of diverse learners. And we had a consultant who had come in and worked with a lot of different collaborative groups across both campuses. Uh, There was a group and a, a teacher in particular who was really invested in assessments and Judaic studies that would look similar to what we have done on the general studies side. And that became the focal point for uh, first to second grade Judaic studies meeting that happened consistently for months and continued over the summer. And this teacher, and this is where the integration piece comes in because I feel it from her. I just met with her this week because she said, as she often does, Tammy, you need to come down to my classroom. I have to show you what just happened from the work that I just spent time doing for all these months. And so while she's preparing her report cards, she was showing me how effective coming up with assessments that would really meet the needs of what she needed would impact her report card writing, which would then impact the second grade team and which will extend beyond that. Once we move to that partnership, that will grow on both ends to the gone and to third grade. And hearing her describe to me what she hoped was a goal, which was this assessment piece, and then turning it into something that was looked at by the administration um, and supporting her in her goal was something that's now changing her teaching practice and leading to 14 other ideas of what she wants to be doing in her classroom. So I think, again, when you when you listen, really, I, I take that word so much to heart in these roles, when you listen to what teachers want to be doing also and what they need, but this is really a, an interest from a teacher, I think it changes their desire to work collaboratively and also for, the, for them to spend the time investing in their own professional development as well. I think I would say also something that maybe is anecdotal as opposed to an anecdote that connects to what Ariel was saying is how this increase in professional development has an impact on a school. Um, I'll give two examples, one more general and one specific. I know a number of schools that because they introduced more professional development for teachers had to reconsider how they were compensating faculty. And I think Ariel mentioned something like this. Um, they had what might be called like the slope intercept form um, originally of how, you, you know, why your salary equals some, you know, some variable times a thing. Plus, if you do coaching, you get extra, right? Y equals MX plus B. That was how they compensated everyone. Um, you know, X is the number of classes you teach. M is your rate. And then B is what if you're coaching. Um, and they had to switch to a, to a banding structure to accommodate for teachers who had moved out of band A, which was kind of like, the novice or the teacher who's just teaching and not doing anything or being a teacher leader into a band C or sorry, a band B or a band C. The anecdote I wanted to share was Bruce Powell did something really interesting out in LA 
Um, and I don't know if this is exactly how it works. So hopefully if someone knows it better, they'll correct me. But he created two tracks in his school for the professionals. One was the regular teacher track and one was what he called the entrepreneurial teacher track. For teachers who were truly invested in their own growth, they were able to join that track. They were compensated at a higher rate for doing things that the regular teacher wasn't expected to do, including being involved in more professional development, becoming teacher leaders, et cetera. And this was different from what other schools were doing because it wasn't the same that you were leaving the classroom to become an administrator. You were staying in the classroom full time, but doing more to impact the school through professional development. I think that was an amazing illustration of how PD and the culture of the school impacted other aspects. I was just going to say, just in connection to that, because we were talking about this earlier, is that we, we are fortunate also at Gold Ock that we've just received a very large endowment through the Dr. Michael Ock Faculty Excellence Fund. And we are having a lot of conversations which involve teacher leaders at our school on both campuses um, as a task force looking at the banding model and how we can continue to develop our teachers, many who want to continue moving up in the ranks of what they're doing at school. And it is just bringing up so many important pieces for us to continue to think about in terms of their professional developments. And what I, I wasn't going to talk about this, but I will just add, we actually abandoned the banding model um, for compensation. And we went to a model of uh, a step uh, for just this, what you get your standard salary. And then we do stipends for teacher leadership and your stipend amount actually depends on how large that role is. So the larger the role, the larger your stipend is. And so that's a model that we have found successful because it, you know, everyone's going to get paid what they're going to get paid, your base, but you're going to get more if you do more. The, what I wanted to share in terms of the impact was I had shared an anecdote about how I wanted to hire instructional coaches a few years ago, and that was not in the cards. Well, luckily, I was actually able, we now have two instructional coaches. We have one for general studies and one for Judaic studies this year, and that you can see impact very quickly. You know, they're able to go into classrooms in a way that I am not. I want to be in as many classrooms as possible, but as an administrator, things happen during the day. Things come up. You know, there's, you know, just things that I might take me away from the being in the classroom and they're able to hit a lot of classrooms. They're also not a supervisor, so they can have conversations with teachers in a different way. I like to do my administrating from a coach approach. And at the end of the day, I'm still their boss. Whereas an instructional coach, it's a different relationship. And we have had teachers work with them who they go through the um, impact cycle, which is uh, part of the instructional coaching model. And they've talked about the changes they're seeing in either a specific student or the classroom based on, you know, the coach will go in, have an initial conversation, then she'll go to the classroom, do observation, take data, and then they'll decide what how they want to approach it. They'll have a conversation. They maybe try something or they'll look for a resource together. And then they're able to see impact very quickly. So it's a way of supporting teachers after mentorship is over. We only do mentorship for two years. And so after mentorship, it's a way of we are still supporting you. And I think it's been very impactful, not only on our teachers, but also on the students, because we can get students more support in a, like a, just a more, more quickly than I am able to sometimes get into classrooms. Super. In, in the couple minutes that we have left, I want to ask you how you evaluate professional development. How do you know whether you've hit the mark? 
So we send out surveys after every event that we do school-wide. And we also have um, uh, feedback surveys that we send, that we have ready, that we ask faculty to fill out after they've attended something. And we try to follow up uh, with conversations and we, we ask teachers to be honest about um, their reactions because sometimes they don't want to say, uh, but sometimes they will. And if, they, if they're reluctant, then we push them to be honest with us because otherwise we can't do our jobs properly. When I first started doing PD, I was like, well, that would be interesting or that would be good for my teachers. Uh, today, I have a slightly different approach, which maybe is shared by my colleagues here which is to say, what's a goal we wanna achieve as a school or with this particular teacher? And then we target the PD to that goal. And then it's quite easy to figure out how to measure whether the PD was successful. Has the goal been achieved? We, we measure for those things we were trying to achieve in the beginning. If it's you know better, better teacher communication with parents, for example, or more inclusiveness in the classroom, those kinds of things you can then go in and observe for and measure for. Especially when it comes to curricular pieces, we actually, we, we look at data as well. So we have done a big push to be using our data, both formative and summative data, to really help us making curricular decisions. So when we've made some curricular changes, we then will look at the data over the next few years to see, did the data shift? Do we see the changes that we wanted because of the because of the curricular change that we made. So really trying to use that to then evaluate our programs as well. And then think about, okay, so what is the professional development that our teachers need? So if this is an area that we're seeing that we're not performing as well and that we would like to, what do our teachers need? So it goes back to the idea of goals. Thank you, Arielle, Tammy, Flora, Maccabee, and Suzanne for a rich conversation about the role of professional development in the lives and careers of Jewish day school educators. If you liked what you heard, please give the podcast five stars and share it with your friends and on social media. You can follow our podcast by searching for Prisma on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. To learn more about Prisma, go to our website at prisma.org and follow us at Prisma CJDS. Prisma's work, including this podcast, is made possible by generous funders who believe deeply in the power of a great Jewish day school education. Visit prisma.org to add your name to the growing list of donors supporting day schools across North America. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed and we'll come back again soon for future episodes.